Just one quick note before we get started. Two swear words come out of Timon's mouth about the 15-minute mark. If you have kids around, make sure to cover their ears. Otherwise, it's pretty safe. Hi, I'm Adam. And I'm Nitsan, and this is The Final Curtain, a special series brought to you by Stories from the Eastern West, bringing you personal accounts from people who experienced the collapse of the Eastern Bloc. Today, we're meeting an artist who happened to have a few occupations. My name is Timon Timajski. Actually, I'm Richard Timon Timajski. I am a songwriter. I happen to write plays. I used to be a columnist as well. I used to work in the radio. I used to work in TV programs. Alongside the many jobs he's had, Timajski established himself as a notorious rebel, always opposed to something, always striving for change, always using very strong, uncompromising language to criticize things he didn't like. And he started his career as a relentless revolutionist in the late 1980s, doing everything he could to oppose the bleak communist reality. Coming right up on The Final Curtain. Dramatic eyewitness accounts of fighting in Bucharest. Police had forcefully beaten demonstrators in East Berlin. Thousands of Czechoslovaks shaking their house keys. The protest movement is now too big to be controlled. Good evening. It is over in Poland. Iron curtain across Europe, torn down. Perhaps it's a funny coincidence, but Timon Timansky was born in a year synonymous with rebellion, 1968. That also means he came of age in the 1980s, which are commonly remembered as the saddest, most hopeless times of the communist reign in Poland. That's where his story begins. Two channels on TV, terrible teachers, you know, who were totally uh, brainwashed. My peers were brainwashed too. My parents were brainwashed too. They were sort of intelligentsia, but they didn't read uh, books. They were cooking cabbage on Sundays, you know, just smelling uh, with cabbage, you know, and, and we were watching some first channel of uh, with some stupid, you know, uh, propaganda programs. So all you felt was like, I want to break through. I want to get out of here. Uh, and you began some kind of internal emigration by, by, by reading, by, by writing, by becoming somebody. So the first thing, you know, in this uh, big depression was like looking around and seeing whether there's any people who look like me, who are punk musicians, who are, whose dress code is uh, so similar, who look like either new wave or punk rock uh, fans or musicians. So, so that was like a sign of, uh, of belonging to a, to a scene. That's like I'm like somewhere in a god, god you know, forgotten country uh, with fences, you know, like totally grey, dark, darkish, uh, where no light actually transpires through the windows. So like like sort of prison, yeah. And for a moment, something opened up, like uh, around 1980, where we had a solidarity movement, and so, so out of a sudden, something began to get through. Tomajski is referring to the so-called Freedom Festival, a 10-month-long period after the legalization of the Solidarity Movement. For almost a year, censorship was looser, and people were allowed to speak their minds to an extent unseen before. 
However, this period was abruptly ended by the introduction of martial law in December 1981. Like a gasp of fresh air, which then was stolen from us. Yes, we, we were left with nothing, you know, and, and the door sort of was slammed close, you know, and, and we had like like seven depressive or eight depressive year, years of, of uh, nothing, you know, going on. And when I entered, uh, when I entered uh, the University of Dask in uh, 1986, uh, there were like more madmen, more, more scruples of, of, of this type who, who, who were my friends, who, who would become my friends, and we uh, formed Totart. Uh, Totar was sort of a conscious movement of people uh, having a, an artistic commune and being, I would say, it was the, the, the last Polish avant-garde of the 20th century with, with, with poets, with uh, musicians, trying to make it together, trying to formulate some, um, some ideas. So it was, uh, to me, it was very essential, you know, moment of life because I realized that I'm not alone. There are some other crazy guys with some crazy energy and then some avalanche happened. We began kind of rolling down. <laughs> But at the time, it was like like a happening of us coming together and improvising on stage. We, were, we would recite poetry, throw meat, raw meat yeah, at, at the participants of, of, of our happenings. Uh, well, it was just, just doing a happening together and seeing what happens. Obviously, it was very iconoclastic, very sometimes brutal. But I mean, we didn't fight, we didn't, we didn't like, like cut ourselves like hip hop. We were like more, let's say, intellectual. But it, I would say, it, it was a, a brainstorm for, for people who uh, were students and who had come to see us and they very often were like totally shocked. The members of Tata did everything they could think of to break the boundaries of the grey reality around them. Throwing raw meat at the audience wasn't the most shocking thing they'd done. There are accounts of them mimicking sexual intercourse and even performing bodily functions on stage. This was all part of a very specific goal they strived for. They called it transgression. To me, transgression was very spiritual. It was like slapping somebody on the face and saying, hey, wakey, wakey, wake up. At the time, it was like, wake up, see the world outside, you are... Uh, in, a, in, a, in, the, in the world of communism, you have to do something about it. Either write a, a punk song, or a protest song, or begin write, writing a uh, writing a book, or uh, making a documentary on, on what you are witnessing. Yeah, but it also to me has some deeper connotation of of like bearing testimony to, to the life in itself. So, so to me, it was like I tried to be become an artist in my own terms in a very difficult situation. Apart from being outrageously provocative, Totart would dazzle the audience with the improvised absurdist speeches and poems, all stuffed with neologisms and streams of consciousness. Absurdity is a very serious tool. Uh, I have I have my own saying there's no intellect without humor I mean humor and absurdity is a bright part of intellect if you are not you know humorous if you're not funny if you're not if you cannot laugh at yourself you are not clever clever I would say that absurdity and the tragedy 
uh, tragedies music scene was also uh, uh, um, concealing uh, our our protest you know against communism but it's sort of shallow to, to, to put it this way because you know whenever I uh, read some polit political literature like Solzhenitsyn I would become totally like angry like for two weeks but then I realized like hey come on it's gonna end soon you know or not soon but I don't want to become a, a political writer or mu mu musician I want to kind of see it I want to I want to sort of uh, testify to it be a witness of it of, 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 of this thing but I don't want to be immersed in, in anger and, 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 and hate so that's like okay I know where I am but I want to be above that you know that's why I was searching for some 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 deeper experience so on one hand we are fighting the situation with the absurd but then we kind of had some uh, let's say deeper and further goals to, to reach I mean it was absurd just to kind of you know to 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 flip out yeah to flip out and then there came the year 1989 and in Poland communism was officially gone no more brainwashing no more propaganda no more censorship out of sudden we were 21 and we we're free and uh, playing music uh, on the streets at the time because the clubs wouldn't have us, wouldn't like like you know invite us yet, but playing uh, you know on the streets uh, for you know like a meal, or chips you know whatever yeah was like great fun. It was like like uh, very happy times as Barat says it. You know it was like like uh, yeah we are totally happy over the fact that we are free, we can do anything we want. A few years before the fall of communism, Tomaisky had really gotten into jazz music. So now, in the new free world, he decided that was what he was going to do. I don't exactly remember uh, why I began playing jazz at the moment, but I thought it's, 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 it's kind of very cool. I thought that it's, it's, it's very cool and sort of uh, uh, hipster-like. Why not play jazz? Jazz is such a cool you know, language to to, to operate, plus, you know, uh, 90s re resemble 60s in a way, you know, free everything, you know, free sex, beers, just, just, just pouring, you know. Almost immediately, though, he rebelled against everybody who'd been playing jazz in Poland before him. Then I met those professors, Polish jazz musicians, who were totally sour, totally stupid, they didn't read books, they didn't read, uh, they didn't watch movies, they couldn't uh, re really elaborate or express themselves in a sophisticated way. They were good uh, technically, but actually they were they were simpletons, you know. Very often, what they did had nothing to do with art and nothing to do with with, with uh, risk, risk, taking a risk, like like going over the border, transgression, as we said before. Out of ten jazz musicians who played in Tri City at the time, I took four and we formed a band, a strange liaison band. It was some kind of ill marriage, yeah? Like two guys who are totally classically trained, two guys who are from punk uh, scene and jazz drummer who doesn't care. And somehow we kind of happened to find a language we, ha we happened to for seven years, like the Beatles, we, we found a language, we found a, some kind of compromise, some kind of love, until it kind of, you know, fell apart. The band was called Miwoszcz the Polish word for love, and it quickly became famous for being the most interesting new jazz group in the country. They reached the heights of popularity and strongly inspired the next generation of improvising musicians. But that didn't mean they became rich. 
In early 1990s Poland, jazz was still a niche genre and their efforts didn't make them much money in return. Meanwhile, some of Tomański's friends went another way. Some of my friends, like uh, there's a poet Konio Konnak, our guru, let's say, uh, he quickly uh, had found his way to the the cream of the cream, let's say, of, of the showbiz. And at the time we were a little bit uh, jealous, about, you know, envious about the fact that he was earning better money and, 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 uh, and he kind of sold himself, yeah? It was a very common problem among musicians during this period. They suddenly had to think about how to earn a living in a much more entrepreneurial way than back in the communist era, where concerts were often organized by the authorities. And so began their search for that elusive compromise between staying true to yourself and being able to pay the rent. Imagine that there's a 17-year-old guy who, who is sponsored by his mother and he's, he writes a fanzine. And imagine Konyo, who's a poet, a total participant, who now, let's say, gives head and sells his ass, let's say, whatever. But at the same time, he's doing the, the, the right alternative thing. But he also earns money because he's a great, you know, uh, talker. He's great, a, a great announcer, MC. And, and he's just making money uh, uh, on that. Is it bad? Who's, you know, better? The guy who uh, can maintain maintains himself or the guy who is sponsored by his mom? Yeah. So actually he uh, explained me overnight that, that actually... You can mix it, yeah? There's nothing wrong in, in earning money because I realize that we can discuss and we can talk much about art, but there's always this, this, this deep question. I mean, what, uh, what is your money coming from, yeah? How do you make a compromise, you know? How do you sell your art? And what do you pay your, 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 your bills with, yeah, with, yeah? So what kind of money? Uh, communism was a very bad, very stupid thing, very, very, very grayish, very uh, depressive, but at the same time, there was a sort of emphasis on art making, you know. The commies wanted to uh, show off, you know, saying that there's some interesting and uncompromising art happening here. On the other hand, also had this disillusionment with what happened, that, that, that uh, we artists are, are unnecessary, you know. I mean, Obviously, I would never say that communism was a better place to be in, but I was kind of disillusioned that it's so hard to live in, in, in a capitalistic country. Obviously, I, I, I realized that it takes time to become a rich country or a country where, uh, where things are easier, yeah? Living is easier. In, in Germany or in, in Norway, you go there and you get some money from a scholarship, you know, from, from, from the state, and here it's like, Nobody cares for you. You just have to fucking like, like, like either die or strive hard or fight your elbows, you know, elbow your way through. Sometimes when I recollect the, the 90s, uh, I believe that they might have resembled something of the 60s in America. That, that uh, um, turmoil, that ferment, you know, so it was freedom, it was drugs, it was uh, free love, you know, it was jazz, it was uh, rock, it was like any, anything goes, yeah, and... Uh, you sort of uh, believe that it makes sense to live there and to create there and to, to be poor, but at the same time very, very inventive. So, so I, if somebody asks me whether I regret, you know, uh, living here in the, in the 90s, never in my life. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure it was a more interesting place than, than America or England at the time because I happened to uh, visit all these places and their time was gone then, you know. I mean, these, these places 
culturally were formed much earlier, you know, and their highlights will happen, had happened earlier. Now I see that uh, also kind of saw it. Going to uh, Switzerland, I realized that people don't write s good songs there and they, they don't compose, don't, don't write good literature there because they are too, too rich. I saw the curse of the, the rich society where you are so fed up with, with goods that you can't write anymore. So actually I realized it's good to be in a social place, shitty place like Poland was. I spoke them all before sunset. Just the way Many of the questions Tomaisky asks remain unanswered, and he himself is a living example of an artist with avant-garde roots grappling with the capitalist system. One day you see him releasing a very provocative and uncompromising album, only to turn on the TV and see him on the jury of a talent show he had openly criticized a few years earlier. However, Timansky's struggles, disillusionments, frustrations and flirtations with pop culture turned out to be extremely fruitful. With his many ups and downs, he remains a notable character on the Polish music scene, and some of his works will forever remain milestones of the scene's condition and evolution. This episode of The Final Curtain was produced for Culture PL and hosted by Adam Jawowski and me, Nitzan Reisner. If you want to learn more about the story you just heard, see the show notes in your podcast app or go to the Stories from the East and West website at sftew.com. Remember to check our feed next week for more of The Final Curtain. We'll get to know two cabaret members who experienced the transition from strict censorship under the communist regime to complete freedom of speech in a reunited Germany. See you next week.